0: Good morning and welcome to our pricing podcast, Pricing Interviews with the Experts. I am Lisa Fisher, the Senior Director of Marketing, Communications, and Key Accounts with the Professional Pricing Society. Today, we are happy to feature our special guest and member of the PPS Board of Advisors, Lydia DiLiello, CEO and founder of Capital Pricing Consultants, LLC. Lydia most recently joined us in June for our Pricing in a Crisis Virtual Summit, where she discussed negotiation skills and how they can help your company recover from COVID-19. In today's podcast, we will address several questions around this relevant topic. Good morning, Lydia, and thank you for joining us on our pricing podcast. We are so happy to have you and look forward to your pricing expertise. Good morning, Lisa.
1: Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm looking forward to the conversation as always.
0: Wonderful. Do you wanna go ahead and do a brief introduction? Sure. Like a brief bio, yep.
1: So I'm Lydia DiLiello, the CEO and founder of Capital Pricing Consultants, It is a revenue management and business consultancy. I have been doing this for the past five years as an independent, but I have spent my entire career, which is more than 25 years in this space. I love to help people resolve their pricing challenges and especially help companies grow their revenue and profitability sustainably, most especially in this time
0: with COVID where there's so many
1: financial challenges
0: awesome awesome thank you lydia so we'll go ahead and dig right in can you comment on the concept of best alternative to a negotiated agreement and how it factors into negotiation in the real world
1: so i know that we talked about negotiated agreements and having them in place during the podcast and uh, or the workshop and if you can't have a a signed or legalized agreement in place, then I would say that the, that the next best thing is have a customer strategy and stick to it. One of the biggest mistakes I see in negotiating is not having a defined strategy. And so then people bounce around with all kinds of different options, which is confusing to the customer. And it guarantees that you are going to erode your margin and erode your revenue. As a supplier, and so having a strategy, decide whether or not you're going to offer um, a, a additional product, or whether you're going to offer um, a set discount. For example, are you going to manage that by volume? In other words, if Lisa, you're buying from me, and you hit ten thousand, I give you a four percent discount, and if you hit twenty thousand, maybe I increase your discount to six and a half percent. But knowing how i'm going to incentivize your buying behavior is critically important
0: excellent and lydia how do these topics apply to a business that heavily uses promotions so businesses lisa that
1: are that are based in promotions are already doing forms of discounting if you will so they are they're a special breed and um they really need to identify their segments of customers. We always talk about segmentation relative to, is it by volume? Is it by the size of the customer? Is it by the percentage of wallet share? Meaning if my total spend is $10,000, am I giving you 6,000 and someone else 4,000? So so that's the the total wallet share. Um, We can segment customers by geography. And so with these promotions, Many times they are segmenting by geographic location. So if you're in California, you get a different promotion than let's say if you're in Ohio. Um, But I would say that the segmentation needs to really go to a very granular level. And the negotiation itself comes into play as you're deciding how to do that segmentation. So in other words, um, you're in California and you are only buying one of my product types so perhaps what i'm going to do is send you a promotion that says um if you buy a second product grouping because now i want to expand my breadth with you how many products you buy i'm going to offer you a 20 percent discount because i want you to buy this complimentary product once so that i can get you in the habit of buying it um i might further try to to segment you down by saying um you don't even need to make a, a very large spend. In other words, I'll honor that 20% whether you're going to spend thousand dollars or $5,000 or, or 20,000, I might not cap it. So that's an additional piece of segmentation where you could say either I'm putting a cap in on that discount offer or that promotion, or I'm not going to cap it. But it, it is very much, it's almost menu driven if you will. So that you're going down a listing of customers and a listing of potential ways to incentivize their buying behavior and then making conscious choices about what those combinations look like. Um, the, The key here is knowing when to stop and knowing at what point you are now into a financial area that is not beneficial for you as a supplier. So, um, If I discount you too much, Lisa, and I gain you as a customer, so I gain market share, but in the next coming months, I'm actually losing margin, I've lost overall. And so I always want to caution our listeners to
0: be very aware of that and very careful with that. Excellent, and then keeping in that same vein, Lydia, is it possible to accept a deal break when reducing prices could imply damage to the perceived value of the brand?
1: So emphatically, no, the only way to manage that is to do it through bundling. So basically you have to disguise what your original price was. So when someone asks the question and says, can I just outright discount if my product price was $12, can I just discount it down to $10.50? My opinion is no, because by doing that, you teach your customers or your clients that they can still have the same service and quality and all of the things that define your unique value proposition for less money. So why would they ever want to give you the full value ever again? So let's take soap, for example, or hand sanitizer, because I know that was such a hot topic for a while, right? Mm-hmm. Um if if the standard price on hand sanitizer, let's say for a, a medium-sized bottle was six dollars, what I have seen companies doing now, and, and we won't touch on the price gouging because that's the other end of the scale, but relative to bundling, it's you know, buy two for ten dollars for let's say um ten dollars and fifty cents. So if the original price was six, now you can get two for ten fifty. So you're still enacting a significant discount. You're doubling the quantity, but the the catch or the um, entrance to that discount is the customer has to buy double. So you you have to change that value offering in some way, or perhaps it's a, you buy a sanitizer and you get a small travel one for a a glove compartment or a purse for free. So you still spend $6, but now there's a product addition, which is free
0: to the client. So they're getting more value for what they are Mm -hmm. purchasing. Understood. Understood. Isn't it great, Lydia, to get a long list of wants from your customer? It delivers a basis for distraction from price-focused discussions and makes us talk more about value, which I think is the key here.
1: 100% agreed, Lisa. It's all about the value. And anytime I can have a client or a customer talking about what they want from me, it's hugely helpful because. Right now especially, I think it's critical post-COVID that we really look for unique ways to service our customers and things that we would have said no to automatically a year ago, we now need to reset and think about how do we creatively say yes and, and that we should not opt for no as a default. Um, and that, that very much is a negotiation strategy, right? Uh, just to say no. And in these times, I am recommending to my clients and customers not to do that. So I think also that when you engage with your client about a list of what their wants and needs are, it's equally important to get them to prioritize that list. So if they tell me that um, what's really important to them is on-time delivery or that they need delivery on a Wednesday at three o'clock and they need packaging in a specific format, um, perhaps the boxes have to be a specific size and they would like one product color-coded in blue and another in purple, um, you can get quite a list of things that they'd like. It's almost like asking a four-year-old, you know, what do you want mm-hmm. for Christmas, right? So right. Mm-hmm. you have this huge list. Then my next step is always to go back and say, if you could only pick three, Lisa, what are your top three in order of importance to you? So they already understand that I'm not going to provide everything they've asked for. I do want to focus on what's most important to them. I want them to be successful. And so through that prioritization, then I can learn what to work on and what to offer them. That's of high value to them
0: that may or may not cost me anything to provide. Understood. So let's talk about um, this is our last question coming up. What, in terms of the maturity of customer relationships, if you're early in the relationship and you don't have a lot of history with the customer or maybe haven't done much business with them historically, what are the best practices you can share, Lydia, with the audience for prepping negotiation when the relationship is really young? So the first thing, Lisa,
1: that I would do is I would try to establish a, a preliminary phone call before the actual negotiations take place uh, to get to know the person a little bit and, and to be very transparent. Say, you know, we don't know each other. We've not been through this process before. Um, we don't have any historical data about your buying behavior or your wants or your needs. So let's talk about some of those things now. What kind of volumes are you expecting to to require from us? What kind of time schedules do you need? Um, Do you have any unusual or specific requirements? Like it can only be delivered to this specific location during this specific time period. Um, Certainly someone who says that they want something delivered to downtown Manhattan is going to be very different than someone who says they want something delivered to Cleveland, Ohio. in terms of, of cost of delivery, time involved, um, et cetera, logistics. So just trying to, to build a relationship and understand and have a conversation that is um, not not emotional and not intense, because the first one is exploratory only. So that would be my first thing. And then the second thing is, based upon what that person has shared with you, Going back and preparing at least two options, so two different scenarios of I've heard what they told me they want, now I have an offering of A or B, and be clear about what you are willing to concede in the negotiation before you go into it, especially because you don't know this person's buying signals or or their signals of frustration or unwillingness to move forward. Um, and I would absolutely say, because we're doing so much now, not in person but remotely, make sure that you're doing this through a a medium that allows you to see their face, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. especially when you don't know the person and the relationship is new. Negotiation is challenging enough when you do know them and and you are in person. So make sure that you can see them, because otherwise, you're not going to be able to read the face. And, and some of the other buying cues. Um, and then lastly, when you're finished with the negotiation, I would send a, an email confirming the terms that you've agreed to, thanking them for their time and their business, and making sure there aren't any more um, follow-up questions or um, any additional criteria that they thought of. I think especially now, the onus is on all of us to confirm and to clarify and make no assumptions because we don't have the benefit of that um, personal interaction that allowed us to catch a lot of those nuances if you will Mm -hmm. and I'm concerned that in negotiation especially things can be
0: assumed if they're not called out very clearly Excellent. Excellent. Lydia, thank you. And I know this was just a um, a very quick um, recap of some of the questions that happened at the June virtual summit, but um, never fear. We will host Lydia again at our PPS Shaping the Future of Pricing, the PPS virtual conference experience happening October 20th through the 23rd with two additional workshop days on October 27th and 28th where you can earn CPP credits on both workshop days and conference days. So Lydia, thank you again for joining us. For further information on this topic and other topics, you can um, happily reach Lydia via email, Lydia at CapitalPricingConsultants.com. Please follow Lydia on Twitter at Lydia DeLiello and connect with her on LinkedIn to get some great discussions going. For additional information about upcoming events and other PPS offerings, please visit our website at pricingsociety.com. Check us on LinkedIn. We will be posting lots of information about our virtual event coming up and other additional pricing training and education initiatives with PPS. Please get social with us and subscribe to our blog, thepricingauthority.com, and follow us on Twitter. At Pricing Society. And don't forget, we have the largest LinkedIn pricing forum with over 16,000 members. So please connect with us there as well. Stay tuned for our monthly pricing podcast where other industry experts join us to share their pricing best practices. Lydia, anything else you'd like to say to our listeners? I just
1: encourage you all to keep asking questions. Don't hesitate to reach out. And I look forward to connecting with you all on social media. Thanks, Lydia.